You coming to bed, hon? Yep, honey, I'll be right there. Just gotta turn out the light. Ow! Ow! Some things never change, like your kids always leaving tiny toys on the floor for you to step on, and Geico saving folks lots of money on their car insurance. Sweetie, I think I left the downstairs light on. P- please don't make me go. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. You coming to bed, hon? Yep, honey, I'll be right there. Just got to turn out the light. Ow! Ow! Some things never change, like your kids always leaving tiny toys on the floor for you to step on. And Geico saving folks lots of money on their car insurance. Sweetie, I think I left the downstairs light on. Please don't make me go. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. What would you say to those nearest you, to your friends, to your family, if you knew you only had a short time left here on earth? Think about that. Well, you know, in the Gospel of John, chapters 12 through 18, we're given a glimpse of the final week of Jesus' life. We witness his final acts as well as his last words to his disciples. Chapter 12, Jesus uh, is anointed for burial by Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. The triumphal entry into Jerusalem occurs, and then his prophetic proclamation of his death. In chapter 13, we see Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. He prophesies about the one who would betray him and also that Peter would deny him. Then we jump into chapter 17 of John, and here we see Jesus' longest prayer recorded in the Scripture. He first of all prays for himself, and then those who are his disciples on the earth at that time, and then for every single person who would come to believe him, believe the gospel from the ages to come, including you and me today. Chapter 18 culminates in Jesus' betrayal and his arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane, ultimately Jesus being led to the cross and being crucified. Now, you'll notice that I omitted uh, at least three chapters from this passage, chapters 14, 15, and 16. The reason for that is because these specific chapters actually include Jesus' final messages to his disciples. And so what did Jesus say? What were his final words? Well, in chapter 14, he began to teach his disciples about the coming of the Holy Spirit, that he would be leaving, but the Holy Spirit would come. In chapter 15, he speaks about the truth of what it means for them to abide in him as a branch stays connected to a vine, how they'll bear fruit, how they'll be persecuted, but they will still run with the gospel to reach the nations. And then Jesus comes back into the 16th chapter, speaking about betrayal and persecution. And then he again lands on the theme of the Holy Spirit, how important the Holy Spirit is in empowering them, in enabling them to be able to fulfill their calling, their destiny, the mission that Jesus had assigned to them. Now, here's the thing that I believe is of critical and utmost importance when we read Jesus' final messages to his disciples here. First of all, Jesus speaks about a new reality that they would be facing soon, that he would return to his Father and that they would be without his personal presence. So the Lord promises, though, that he would not leave them alone. 
Let's read John chapter 14, verses 15 through 18. The Lord says, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. So Jesus speaks of his successor, the Holy Spirit, the helper, as the New King James calls him, the advocate, or, or sometimes he's known as the comforter. He's the spirit of truth. This helper would abide with the disciples forever is what Jesus promises. He's actually called another helper, and it's very interesting because in the Greek, it actually means another just like Jesus. So he's not going to be different, but he's going to be like Jesus. In fact, the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Christ. Now, through the person of the Holy Spirit, Jesus promises that he will continue to have a relationship with his disciples. Verse 18, he says, I will come to you. Verse 19, he says, they will still see him. Even though physically he would be removed from their midst, they would still see him. A little while longer, the world will see me no more, but you will see me. And the Greek means you will see me in a new way, in a different way, and in fact, in a clearer way, in a, in a more powerful and vivid way. Through the person of the Holy Spirit, Jesus also promises that he would manifest himself to those who believe in him. Verse 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest or make myself known to him. Now, moreover, through the person of the Holy Spirit, both the Father and the Son would reveal themselves and make their home with each believer is what Jesus tells us in verse 23. What amazing promises that Jesus said, even though physically he would be departing his disciples, that he would still be with them by his Holy Spirit and would continue to witness to them, to manifest himself to them, and they would see him and they would experience his presence in their midst. Now, as amazing as these aforementioned promises are, there's something that Jesus said that is even more remarkable. I want you to look at John chapter 16, verse 7 for a moment. Here's what Jesus says. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart... I will send him to you. So Jesus is saying that my departure is actually going to be expedient for you. The idea is that this is really going to help you. This is going to, to literally give you a serious upgrade. You're about to experience something amazing. So Jesus' exit from the earth meant the entrance of the Holy Spirit into the world. And the mission of the Spirit could not and would not begin till the mission of the Son was ended. Jesus could not come in the Spirit until he ceased to live in the flesh. One writer put it this way, the withdrawal of Christ's limited bodily presence of necessity prepared the way for the recognition of a universal presence. 
So I want you to think about this for a moment. When Jesus was on the earth, he was restricted by a human body. So the most that Jesus could do would be minister to one person at our time, or at least to those that were in close proximity to him. But with the coming of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit now dwelling in each believer, the mission and the ministry of Jesus Christ would be extended to wherever those believers went. Jesus said in John 14, 12, the works that I do, you shall do and even greater works. Now, a lot of times we hear people say, well, we're gonna do you know, more amazing miracles than Jesus did. But as you look around the earth, we have seen God do amazing miracles and that's still happening clearly. But is it really a fact that we are doing more amazing and profound miracles than Jesus did? I'm not sure. I don't see people walking in water. I don't see people you know, raising the dead in the same way that Jesus did. We certainly believe that these things can happen, but ultimately I believe that what Jesus is speaking of here is the fact that we can multiply the impact and the effects of what Christ did through each believer in various nations and locations. So the greater works mean that there are more miracles. These miracles are multiplied and they're increased throughout the nations of the earth so that many, many more people are impacted by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember the Bible says that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. So we have the power of the Holy Spirit in us. Jesus said in Luke 24, 49, just before he told his disciples to go out and preach the gospel to all nations, he said, tarry or wait in Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. What he was saying is this, is you are to go and you are to preach the gospel, but you cannot do it in your own strength. You need the supernatural ability and power of the Holy Spirit. He said this elsewhere in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He told them, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power to be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. How important is the baptism with the Holy Spirit? Jesus said it is so important that his disciples were not released by him to go out and minister until they had received that on the day of Pentecost. You know, today in many places in the church, we are guilty of uh, teaching an incomplete gospel. It's a gospel that refuses to assign to the Holy Spirit his rightful place in the church and in the life of the believer personally. Contained in the gospels is what I call the explicit mission of Jesus, which by and large is ignored by traditional theology today. Do you know that all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, introduce Jesus as the one who will baptize you in the Holy Spirit? Some of them say, baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. So there's this exclusive focus on this one central identifiable characteristic of Jesus' ministry. John said, when he was questioned of who he was, he said, I baptize you with water, but someone's coming after soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, before Jesus left the earth, he told his disciples to wait into Jerusalem 
to not go out and preach the gospel, but to wait until they received what is known as the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Now, this actually occurred, this event historically happened on what we call the Day of Pentecost, or the Jews refer to it really as the Feast of Weeks. There were three great feasts. There were Passover, there was the Feast of Weeks, or Pentecost, and then, of course, Tabernacles later on. Now, the Jews and many devout Christians recognize the Feast of Weeks as the occasion when God gave the Torah to the children of Israel or to Moses on Mount Sinai. And, and this is absolutely true, but yet I believe there's something more significant than we miss, which happened back on that day. It's recorded in Exodus 20, when God appeared to the children of Israel and to Moses. You see, this is the first time that God actually spoke directly to the children of Israel. Prior to that, he had communicated his will to Moses, and Moses was to pass it on to them. But it's always, it was always the Lord's intention that he have this personal relationship with his people and that they recognize his voice so that they can keep his covenant. I'm reading from Exodus 19, verse 5 and 6. The Lord says to Israel, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Wow, what an amazing truth. So God speaks to them. He gave them his, what we call the Ten Commandments, as recorded in Exodus 20, but he spoke with them directly. And what ends up happening is when God communicates to his people, we see the response of Israel. And what did they do? They actually chose rules and laws over a living relationship with God. They rejected God's voice in favor of a mediator. That would have been Moses and then eventually the written law of God. Essentially, they pursued the knowledge of the word of God more than the actual knowledge of God himself. And as you study history, you will see even in the days of Jesus when the Pharisees were living at that time that Jesus confronted them about the same thing. They knew the word of God. They gave and committed themselves to studying the scriptures. But interestingly, Jesus indicts them as not knowing the voice of God and not even knowing God himself. Now, during that time when a, when a child was being, a young man was being groomed to become a Pharisee, from the age of six to the age of 12, he was to diligently study. He was to pore over the, the Torah, which is the first five books of the Old Testament. In fact, he was encouraged to memorize the entire Torah. By the time he was 12 years of age at his bar mitzvah and following that up until he was 16, he was encouraged to diligently study the entire Tanakh, the Old Testament scriptures, to the point that if he was really diligent, if he was really you know, committed, he would actually memorize the entire Old Testament. Here's what Jesus said to these Pharisees who had perhaps memorized the entire Old Testament, starting in John chapter 5, verse 37, down to verse 40. The Lord says, And the Father who sent me has borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, 
His form you have never seen, and you do not have His word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom He has sent. They studied and memorized the scriptures, but Jesus says you've never heard His voice, and His word is not abiding in you. Listen to this, verse 39. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness of me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Wow. They memorized the scriptures. They profusely poured over the scriptures. But yet they refused to come to know Jesus. In that time of knowing the Word of God, they failed to actually have a living and vibrant relationship with God Himself. You know, Jesus said the Scriptures testify of Him. So the point of reading the Scripture is to bring us closer to God, not just to increase our you know, mental knowledge of who the Lord is, but to bring us into a closer and intimate relationship with God Himself. Exodus 20, verses 19 through 21 the Lord speaks to the children of Israel, and how do they respond? They say, Lord, Moses, we don't want to hear the voice of God. God, Let God speak to you, and then you communicate to us. You speak to us, we'll listen, but don't let God speak directly to us, or we will die. You know, Moses replies, don't be afraid. God has come in this way to test you, so that your fear of him will keep you from sinning. As the people stood in the distance, Moses approached the dark cloud where God was. What an amazing scenario. Here are the people of Israel. In the very presence of God, God speaks, and they say, we can't handle it. It's too, it's, it's too much. And I understand what was happening here, and it would have been a great challenge to them. But ultimately, God was trying to do a deep work in their life and he wanted them to value his voice beyond Moses as a mediator and even the written scripture. What I'm saying is that you can read the Bible and yet not hear the voice of God in it and not experience revelation if the Holy Spirit is not part of your life. We need the Holy Spirit to minister to us, to communicate revelation and the truth of God's word. The promise of the coming of the Holy Spirit, which happened on the day of Pentecost, which was the Feast of Weeks, was an actual fulfillment of God's original plan that His people would hear His voice and know His presence. The baptism of the Holy Spirit was really God making good on His covenant promise that His people would have direct revelation from Him and a relationship where they could be intimate with Him. And we understand that even when Jesus was on the earth, up until his death and resurrection, this wasn't entirely possible because the Holy Spirit would not live directly in them until after Jesus' death and resurrection. But Jesus was preparing them for this new covenant where God would actually live inside his people, would speak to his people, teach his people, comfort his people. They would know his voice they would know what is his plan and purpose for their lives, and they would be led by him. And this particular event occurred on the day of Pentecost. In Acts 2, 38 verse, and, and 39, Jesus said this, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. 
then listen to this, then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So he's saying, repent, be baptized in water in the name of Jesus. But then he says, and then you're going to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So these things, repentance and baptism, are important, but they're prerequisites to something more important. That is, the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Then he went on to say, this promise is to you and your children and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Interestingly, we believe that Peter is actually referring to what Joel actually prophesied about in the coming of the Holy Spirit and also what Isaiah said in chapter 59, verse 21. The Lord, through his prophet, declared, and this is my covenant with them, my spirit will not leave them, and neither will these words I have given you. They will be on your lips and on the lips of your children and your children's children forever. I, the Lord, have spoken. So on the day of Pentecost, when the disciples were gathered together and the Holy Spirit came in as a, and they, as a rushing mighty wind and there were these tongues of fire that descended upon each one of them as recorded in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. The ultimate purpose of this is delineated here further on in the same chapter in verses 17 and 18 where they're quoting the prophet Joel. Peter's quoting him and he says, this is a fulfillment of what Joel said many years ago. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they will prophesy. So God says they will receive revelation from the person of the Holy Spirit. They will hear the voice of God in a sense, whether it was through dreams or visions or whatever way, and they will also speak forth God's word. So there's a shift that takes place upon Jesus' death and resurrection. Now the disciples who've been baptized with the Holy Spirit have direct access to this presence, to the person of the Holy Spirit, and they can hear directly from the Holy Spirit himself. Paul picks up on this move from knowing Christ according to the flesh to the Spirit. Romans 8 is all about this transition. He says we are no longer to know him according to the flesh, but we are to know him in the Spirit. We know Jesus in the, in the New Covenant by the Holy Spirit. The one that Jesus said is another helper. Very interestingly, the word that Jesus uses there in the Greek language is parakletos. I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper. He will give you the parakletos that he may abide with you forever. The word literally means one who is called alongside one who is called to be beside us, to help us in every step of the way. In the Greek culture, a parakletos was one who encouraged and supported and strengthened others, especially those that were facing hard challenges. It was very often used of a military officer who met with his troops the night before battle, exhorting them to prevail, urging them to victory, but he would also remind them of his planned presence to be with them in the heat of the war leading the charge. Isn't that amazing? Jesus said, I won't leave you as orphans. You're not going to be alone. I will send the parakletos. He will comfort you. He will speak to you. But more importantly, he will be with you. 
He will be present with you in all things. The Holy Spirit helps us. The Holy Spirit is our comforter. He's the one who strengthens us. He's the one who gives us grace to be able to prevail in this life that we now live. In fact, what Jesus was teaching when he told his disciples to wait in Jerusalem to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, his, he was inferring, listen, you are not able to do what I expect you to do, what I've called you to do. It is humanly impossible for you to do this. You need the power and the person of the Holy Spirit to enable you to give you this supernatural dunamis ability to be able to do what I expect of you. He says the Spirit teaches you. He'll guide you. He'll give you wisdom. He'll impart heavenly revelation to you and supernatural wisdom so that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. Secondly, the Holy Spirit will convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The power of the indwelling paraclete will give us the ability to live by the Spirit, to bear the fruit of the Spirit, and not to fulfill the sinful desires of our human nature. In other words, the Holy Spirit is going to empower you to live an overcoming life. He's going to empower you to be holy. He's going to give you this grace to be able to live differently than the people of the world so that sin shall have no dominion over you, according to Romans 6.14. And then lastly, the parakletos, the Holy Spirit, gives supernatural power and also divine grace gifts to be able to fulfill the Great Commission to be able to build up the body of Christ and also to even edify ourselves personally. We need these divine grace gifts from God to be able to do everything that he's called us to do. And if you read the scripture, and particularly in 1 Corinthians 12, you see the manifestations of the spirit that are listed there. And God wants his church to be able to appropriate these grace gifts so that we can live this overcoming life that he's destined us to. You see, the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to empower us to live like Jesus on the earth. As, as I mentioned, Jesus said, the works I do and you will do also in greater works. In 1 John 2, 6, he spoke about it. If anyone says that they live in him or they abide in him, in Jesus, then we should live or we should walk even as he himself walked. We've been called to be conformed to the image of Jesus. We've been called to live like Jesus did on the earth. And this isn't by our own goodness or by human ability, but this can only be affected by the power and the person of the Holy Spirit. How we need the baptism with the Holy Spirit today. It is a non-negotiable thing. Jesus said, that we are to be repent, we are to be baptized, but then he says, so you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see, the gift of the Holy Spirit is the person of the Holy Spirit dwelling in each believer, empowering us to be able to do the will of God on the earth. Now, interestingly, he, he the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of grace, works in us both to will and to do his good pleasure. In other words, he gives us the desire and the power to do what pleases God. That's what the Holy Spirit is all about. It's not just about one particular gift like speaking in tongues or prophesying or any of these things. He said, you will become witnesses unto me. And when you receive this power of the Holy Spirit, in fact, the Greek word that for witnesses, we get our English word martyr. 
And the idea is that you will, you will die, as Paul said in Galatians 2.20, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And so, in other words, people will see Jesus in us. That's the purpose of the Holy Spirit, to bear witness unto Jesus. When people see us, when they encounter us, I'm going to say there's something different about that person. There's something that is otherworldly. They're not just a, a regular person. There's something unique. And that's clearly the very presence and the power of God that is in us, the grace and the love of Jesus that we manifest because of the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, many people have experienced the baptism with the Holy Spirit, but have unfortunately failed to walk in the Spirit. In Galatians 5, Paul talked about that. He said, now that you've received the Spirit, you need to walk in the Spirit. It's not enough just to say, well, I received the Spirit, but are you walking in the Spirit? Are you growing in the Spirit? Are you exercising this grace and these gifts that the Holy Spirit has given to you? How do we do that? Well, the Holy Spirit wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to be personal with you. I'm reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14 in the message. And Paul says this, The amazing grace of the Master, Jesus Christ, the extravagant love of God, and listen to this, and the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. The Holy Spirit wants to have an intimate friendship with you. He wants you to be one with Him and Him one with you. In 1 Corinthians 6, 17 in the Passion Translation, the Bible says, but the one who joins himself to the Lord is mingled into one spirit with Him. There's this oneness that God wants us to experience, this intimacy. You see, the Scripture says that the Holy Spirit actually is jealous for us. The Spirit that God breathed into our hearts is a jealous lover who intensely desires to have more and more of us. James chapter 4, verse 5 in the Passion Translation. So, how do we receive this person of the Holy Spirit? How do we know whether or not we even have experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Well, first of all, I really believe that when you have experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit, your desires will change. I believe that there will be a sense of the presence of God in your life unlike anything you've ever experienced. If, if you just really don't have a, a, a clear sense that the presence of the Lord is with you, then perhaps you've not yet been baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I want to encourage you today to seek the Lord and to ask Him for the Holy Spirit. You know, Jesus was very clear that the Holy Spirit is a gift. And so it's not like we have to become a certain level of, of righteous or holy. In fact, it's the other way around. I remember when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I was not living a righteous lifestyle. There were things that I was doing that certainly were grievous and sinful. But nevertheless, the Holy Spirit came, filled me. There was like a bright light that came into the room. I felt the presence of God. And then it was like I, I actually went out and and I uh, was lying on my bed and I woke up and I heard myself speaking this language or these words that didn't make sense to me. And that's what the Bible calls speaking in tongues. And in the New Testament, there's two particular places that I just want to look at where we read what happened to the believers when they sought to experience the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And by the way, the word baptism just means the immersion 
and so you're immersed in the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've been immersed in water, but you need to be immersed in the Holy Spirit as well. The first example is found in Acts chapter 19, verses 2 through 6. Paul shows up at Ephesus, and the Bible says that he finds some people who are disciples, or they're called believers. Now, they weren't fully versed in the gospel. They didn't understand what it meant to be baptized in the name of Jesus. They'd been only baptized in repentance as John's baptism. But what ends up happening is Paul speaks to them and he says, have you received the Holy Spirit? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, we've not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, into what then were you baptized? So they said, into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. Now listen to this. When they heard this, when they heard what Paul said, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, baptized in water, in other words. That's an important step. And then when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. When Paul laid his hands on them, the Bible says there were 12 of them in all. Another example of this is found earlier in the 10th chapter of the book of Acts among and the family in the home of a Roman centurion named Cornelius. So Peter is summoned to go to Cornelius' household. He shares the gospel message with this man and his family. And the Bible says that while Peter was still speaking, these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. And those of the circumcision, the Jews in other words, who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, as many as accompanied Peter to visit this Roman centurion in his home, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. So notice this, there's no prescribed way, there's no formula, God doesn't have to do it a certain way. But, you know, in the first example, Paul lays his hands. They receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The second time, he's actually preaching. And while he's preaching, the Holy Spirit falls on them. And it says that they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Gentiles I'm so, are, are the recipients here. And the Jews are blown away. They didn't really believe that God would do that. And how did they know? How were they convinced that these Gentiles had been baptized or had received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 46. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Wow. Here we see an example of this supernatural phenomenon accompanying or being subsequent to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And really, it's at the same time as the Holy Spirit falls. And the first example, they speak in tongues, they prophesy. And the second example, it says that they just speak in tongues. Now, I'm not saying this is an exhaustive list of how God manifests his gifts through people, but we do see this pattern repeatedly throughout the scripture. In fact, speaking in tongues, and I'm talking about tongues without the gift of interpretation, is actually one of the ways that we build ourselves up spiritually, according to 1 Corinthians 14, verse 2. It's a way that we build ourselves up in our most holy faith, according to the book of Jude. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14 that we pray with understanding, or we sing with understanding, but we also pray and sing in the Spirit, meaning he's specifically referring to 
the gift of tongues in that context there. So the gift of tongues, prophecy, power to heal the sick, revelation, discernment, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, you know, the gift or, or the working of miracles, all of these things are part of God's promise to his people. And not just that we would experience these gifts, but also the fruit of the Holy Spirit, as Galatians 5 speaks about, that we would manifest His fruit, the life of Christ, the person of the Holy Spirit in us, working in us, causing us to experience all that God has promised. The new covenant is a covenant that says that Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, repent, be baptized, in the name of Jesus, or the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and ultimately so you can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I want to encourage you to do that. Have you believed in Jesus? Have you embraced this gospel message that there's no way of righteousness apart from what Jesus did on the cross? Have you asked Him to forgive you? Have you invited Him into your life to cleanse you and to take control? Have you been baptized in water as a sign of repentance and, and commitment and surrender to the Lord? If not, I encourage you to do that. And then ultimately, have you experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit? You know, interestingly, in the example of Cornelius and his household, they were filled with the Holy Spirit before they were baptized in water. And so God isn't stuck to a particular pattern or way of doing this. It, ultimately, he's looking for people that are hungry. And you might say, well, I don't know if I believe that theologically or I'm not convinced that I should speak in tongues. Or, and that's okay. You know what? God wants you to experience the Holy Spirit. Are you open to experience the fullness of his presence and power in your life? Are you hungry for a relationship with God through the person of the Holy Spirit, where you have that intimate fellowship that Corinthians talks about with the Holy Spirit. All you need to do is ask Him to come into your life. Ask Him to fill you. Ask the Holy Spirit to baptize you with fire. Ask Him to change you, to give you power. And just say, Holy Spirit, I want everything that you have for me. That's the most important thing. Do you want everything that God has for you? Are you content with the way you are? I am so hungry for more and more of the Holy Spirit. It's not just like you experience it once and then you're topped up for good. No, there are new and fresh fillings that we need to experience from the Lord. We need to pursue Him in a deeper way. We need this grace, this power, and this uh, provision of the Holy Spirit in our lives on a daily basis. So I want to encourage you to open your heart, church, to open yourself to experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Let's put aside our, our theological beliefs for a moment. Let's look at the scripture, the examples I've just cited, and there are many more, and be open to the person of the Holy Spirit, allowing Him to change you, to empower you, to make you a new person, to give you zeal and passion for God. In the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at specific ways that the Holy Spirit will change your life. And I know you're going to be encouraged. But my goal is not just that you would be uplifted, but that ultimately you would be transformed and you would come into this great place of communion and intimacy with the person of the Holy Spirit. This is how Jesus lived when he was on the earth. And this is what God expects of us to do as well. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. We're going to do something different today. 
I'm going to take just a moment, and I'm going to ask you, if there's someone in your home right now that you're with, maybe there's someone you know, and they're not physically present with you, but you can get on the phone, you can get on you know, a FaceTime call with them or something, and just ask them, hey, I'd like to pray with you to experience the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Perhaps you're a person, you may be alone right now, but you want to experience the baptism with the Holy Spirit. I encourage you to reach out right now, even to your small group leaders. Reach out, and if there's no one that's available, then just I want you just to do something in a moment. I want you just to place your hand on your heart, and we're going to pray. And I'm going to ask you to gather around anyone who's in your home right now, or or anyone on Facebook, or, or somewhere else that you know, and you can actually just begin to pray for that person right now. Just lay your hands on them, and it's very simple. Just ask them just to worship the Lord. Just take a moment, open your heart. Just say, Hallelujah, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Just begin to worship Him. Gather around this person or persons, and just begin to worship the Lord, and then just put your hand on them, and say very simply, just say, Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, as Paul did in Acts chapter 19. I encourage you guys to do that right now. Let's begin to pray for one another. Let's pray for fresh fillings. Let's pray for people to experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit who've never yet uh, had and, and encountered God this way. Let's do that. And thank you so much for joining us today and being part of this service. Look forward to seeing you guys again soon. God bless you. Hear that? Is that America cheering or a sausage patty sizzling to perfection? It's time to cheer for Egg McMuffin and fresh cracked eggs at McDonald's. It's time to wake up to the aroma of freshly baked biscuits and treat yourself to a real honest-to-goodness morning meal. Breakfast, it's on at McDonald's. Now get any breakfast sandwich for just 2 bucks. Available only through the app. Mobile order and pay available at participating McDonald's. McD app download and registration required. When your dad started building a man cave in your bedroom, you knew it was time to start building something for yourself. Let's job it up. At CareerBuilder, we're ready to help at every stage of your search. Build a resume, get industry tips and advice, and apply to multiple jobs in just one click. Start your search at CareerBuilder.com.